0: You're listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast with Dr. Cameron Marshall. Ask Concussion Doc is a show where we answer your questions about concussions, treatment, and rehabilitation to help practitioners better manage these injuries. Enjoy the show. Welcome, everyone, to episode number 40 of Ask Concussion Doc. I have my phone flipped around facing me on my concussion doc profile, so. It might be a little bit distracting for me, but today we have an interesting podcast for you, and it's based on a case that was submitted to me. We don't typically take patient cases uh, just because of the medical legal requirements and everything else that goes with it, so please note that this particular podcast does not constitute medical advice. However, I am going to lay out some research advice uh, and just kind of help out Ethan. Uh, who submitted this case. He just signed in. So I told him to join us today in case he had questions as we go. Uh, and then he could we could elaborate on some things just to work through because the case that he submitted to me uh, has a lot of similarities with, I'm sure, a ton of people. And it's common questions that I get from my patients. And so I think this will really help people out that have longstanding concussion symptoms and some of the same kind of things going on as Ethan. So the case is from... Ethan, he's there, hey Ethan, how you doing? I'm 19 years old, currently taking a gap year before attending Harvard College in the fall of 2019 as a member of the class of 2023. I've sustained four concussions in high school, including three in 13 months. The first two were quite severe, both symptom-wise and in terms of an initial blow to the head. After these, I stopped contact sports. My last two were extremely frustrating and were the result of minimal impact to the head in an everyday context, which I'm sure wouldn't have had lasting effects for 99.9% of people. During the, the first three months of my gap year, I attended vestibular therapy sessions twice a week, which improved some of my more persistent symptoms somewhat. A few days ago, so five months into my gap year, I got elbowed in the head by a passerby and immediately began experiencing mild concussion symptoms, which have continued. Now, please note that he sent me this in December. We're now just getting to it in the loop of of podcast topics. Um, I don't know if you ever examine individual case studies on your podcast, but I would be extremely grateful if you could answer some of my questions to the best of your ability. I believe all your responses will be pertinent to those who have suffered multiple concussions in their youth. Now I got this email when I was actually in Florida on Christmas vacation and I saw it and all these questions, because they were so common, uh, I just emailed him back and said, what about we if we take your case as, as an initial kind of as a full episode podcast, just to answer these questions. Okay. The first question is, am I stupider than before I got my first concussion? He says he's had a harder time with math after his first, spelling after his third, and short-term memory after my fourth. Not sure if this is me being paranoid and searching for some difference or if it's real. So I'm going to answer that question first. The It's a tough one. It's a tough one because you don't necessarily develop... Um, you know, cognitive problems um, after every concussion, and those cognitive problems don't necessarily get worse after every concussion. A lot of times, and and I was actually speaking with a patient yesterday about this. That a lot of times, cognitive problems or seemingly cognitive problems are not necessarily cognitive problems. Sometimes the similar similar type scenarios, um, such as you know having difficulty with concentration, difficulty with spelling, difficulty with math, things like that, can be related to other scenarios such as anxiety, uh, post-traumatic stress, um, other psychological manifestations that will seem a lot like cognitive problems but aren't necessarily true cognitive problems. And I've referred patients to, uh, we we refer patients to neuropsychologists all the time. We refer people to um, OT um, and that type of thing. And a lot of times they will say, and even in their initial consult, they'll say that cognitive problems aren't necessarily cognitive problems and so um, it's not you know there's there's a chance that there could be some cognitive problems obviously there is with with any type of concussion injury but just because you are having some of these issues it may be related to other things for example if you are having headaches it's going to be a lot more difficult to perform and do math and do spelling and have short-term memory when you're constantly dealing with headaches because that becomes your focus. If your focus is on the fact that you can't focus, well, then you can't focus. Do you know what I mean? So it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you believe that your short-term memory is affected, you're going to find things throughout your day that lead you to believe and continue to go down that path that your short-term memory is affected and then it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy where you know some people will forget you know events and they'll forget forget parties and they'll forget things items they have on their agenda and I'm really bad for this too I see that my wife joins, so she can probably attest to this that she'll tell me something and you know two days later I'll completely forget that you know we have to do this event or something like that now Is that because I have cognitive problems? I don't think so. I think that's because I am either busy at the time, focusing on something else, not paying 100% attention, and you're losing that. Now, if I had had a concussion, I would automatically attribute this to that concussion injury, and I think that's what people do a lot of times, is that they focus on something like this, and it's so subjective, right? It's so subjective, and unless you've actually been tested by a neuropsychologist, by an occupational therapist, by somebody that does some sort of cognitive testing, you don't know if you actually have a true cognitive problem. But you can trick yourself into believing that you do. So I think this one right here is a bit of a tough question. I would say that the chances are pretty good that you're not stupider. Uh, after having a couple concussions. I would say that most people test within the range of cognitive normal uh, after concussion, and I think a lot of these quote-unquote cognitive problems are completely subjective um, and don't necessarily indicate a true cognitive problem. Um, Just to add to this, because it just kind of popped in my head, is uh, the University of Buffalo recently did a study uh, using former NFL players and NHL players and they compared them to non-contact athletes. So the NHL players and the NFL players coming into the study all believed and thought that they had cognitive problems. Um, Their spouses were saying that they had cognitive problems and memory problems and everything else. They did all sorts of imaging, uh, MRI imaging, functional imaging. Then they went to uh, neuropsychological testing and tested them on all sorts of ranges of cognitive function and they found that the former NFL players and NHL players were no different on any cognitive measures than any of the non-contact athletes of the same age. It's because they, the, the one difference was that they had greater anxiety and they believed that they had cognitive problems. So all of their cognitive problems were self-manifestation. And when, when you compared them to non-contact athletes of the same age, they were no different. So they had just typical age-related cognitive changes, um, but in their own mind, they believed that they had something wrong with them. And I think this happens a lot of times to concussion patients, and Ethan, I probably, you know, I would say that this is probably likely case uh, for you. Hope that answers your question, hope that makes you feel a little bit better. How likely is it, this is question number two, how likely is it that my concussions will affect my quality of life down the road? Um, very, very, very unlikely. Concussion is a temporary deficit. Okay, concussion causes a temporary functional deficit within the brain, uh, and by temporary I mean within a month or two things are things should be back to normal from a concussion recovery standpoint, from a brain function standpoint. Um, however, the research around CTE right now has everyone afraid that they're gonna suffer from some sort of long-term problem we don't know anything about cte i've talked about cte a few times on this podcast cte at best right now is a theory and the theory is that they've had these former nfl players that have had mental health complications let's say aggression rage memory impairments cognitive impairments executive function impairments things like that um and then after they die, they've looked at their brains and they've found a buildup of this protein called tau. Tau protein also occurs in Alzheimer's disease and I think there's about 20 different types of tauopathies where tau protein accumulates in the brain. The theory, at least in this sense, is that it's the result of concussions or repetitive head trauma that causes this damage to the brain that causes this tau to accumulate. That is right now at this point completely theoretical. We don't even know if the impairments that people are saying they've suffered or are suffering are true impairments. Like I said, that NFL and NHL study from Buffalo found that patients didn't have any actual objective findings in terms of their neuropsychological function. However, they all believed that they were impaired. We don't know if there is impairment in the true sense. And we don't know if any impairment actually correlates with the tau protein that's in the brain. So all we know is we have brains with tau protein in it. Whether that tau protein is the result of some sort of disease, we don't really know. Or whether that's just a part of normal aging, we don't know because we don't have enough control brains to say. Now that tau protein can be due to other things because a lot of times there's other factors happening in these people's lives such as alcohol abuse, Um, uh, painkillers, anabolic steroids, and a number of other things that could lead to cognitive impairments and some of the same symptoms that they're experiencing. So how do we know it's not that? The idea became it's concussions, and the media has run with that, and unfortunately, it makes people like Ethan concerned for their well-being in the future. Now, CTE is extremely, extremely rare. Um, We don't know if it's the result of concussions or not. I wouldn't believe everything you read in the media. It may be due to concussions, um, but it may not be. So the long-term effects for concussion, for the most part, are negligible to none at all. Um, And this, you're talking about a very, very rare instance of professional former football players that have had multiple, multiple, multiple hits over a period of, you know, you know, five to 20 years kind of thing. Um, so I would say the likelihood of you having any type of long-term impairment or implications from your concussions uh, is extremely low. So I hope that also makes you feel better. How long will it take for me to be fully healed and therefore not more susceptible to future concussions? <sighs> okay. <laughs> um, concussion recovery in terms of Symptoms, um, it depends. Everyone's a little bit different. The pathophysiological processes that happen inside the brain are a very short term, temporary thing within a matter of kind of four to six weeks uh, for the most part. The symptoms, however, from concussions are due to potentially other things. Uh, one is blood flow impairments that can happen at the same time that concussion happens, another one is um, metabolic or inflammatory issues hormone issues. Uh, number three is visual or vestibular system dysfunction. Number four is neck dysfunction. And number five, I've alluded to it before, is psychological manifestation. So anxiety, PTSD, depression, etc. So how long will it take me to be fully healed? Well, your concussions were months ago, I would say that in terms of brain recovery, uh, things have likely healed. However, the symptoms. Might be due to some ongoing issue that just needs to be figured out. So you need to do, you need to find somebody who has training in this, um, not just vestibular, because vestibular is only one of those five components, right? So you need to find somebody who has concussion-specific training that can put you on a treadmill, analyze you for um, uh, your blood flow impairments and your autonomic nervous system function. You need somebody who can assess your diet and give you uh, some. Various recommendations on what to eat. Um, you need somebody that can look at your neck. Somebody can assess your visual system and your vestibular system because all of those things are likely what's driving your symptoms. That paired with you know anxiety and worry about all the other things that we've already kind of talked about because the symptoms of anxiety and PTSD are also identical to those of concussion. So when this person walks by you on the street and you get an elbow in the head, that is unlikely to be enough force to even cause a concussion injury to happen in the first place, but you had all these symptoms. Why did you experience all of these symptoms with minimal trauma? You're alluding to the fact that you're more susceptible to concussions. Um, In my opinion, given what we know about the amount of force it takes to cause a concussion, I would think that that type of force is very unlikely to have caused another concussion. So the symptoms that you felt that you've experienced could be due to something other than concussion, i.e. anxiety, PTSD, worry about your condition, Um, It could be due to tightness, tension in the neck, because the symptoms of neck dysfunction, neck tension are headaches, dizziness, mental fogginess, uh, ocular motor problems, visual um, disturbances. All of the same symptoms that you get with concussion come from dysfunctional neck muscles and joints. And so if you get hit and you start worrying that, oh my God, I've just got another concussion, this bump on my head, people hold their tension in their neck. And so now you're starting to get tight in the neck and you're starting to get referred pain into the head. You're starting to start feeling some of the manifestations that would be um, concussion related, or I shouldn't say concussion related, but the same or similar to what you would feel with concussion, but yet they're not actually concussion. And so I think that's really the the tough part here is trying to distinguish what's what. Uh, Ethan asked the question, can all the five areas cause the same symptoms or are there symptoms specifically caused by the neck specifically caused by something visual they're all they're all very similar there people have tried to separate them and say well if it's uh, if you feel visually you know if if it's visually you feel off then it's probably a visual problem but that's not necessarily the case because all of those functions are controlled by blood flow and all of those systems tie into each other um, throughout the cerebellum. So whenever your eyes are moving, it's constantly feeding into your cerebellum to control that eye movement, but the cerebellum at the same time is asking your neck and asking your vestibular system and asking other systems of your body what they're picking up. So it may seem like a visual problem perceptively to you, but it could be a neck problem because as your eyes are moving around the world, it's constantly asking your neck for information. And if your neck is all jacked up on one side or you have different dysfunction in your neck, it causes your eyes to skip because the, the mechanisms, the feedback is not consistent. You don't get congruent signals. So you can't really separate what's what, right? If you go to somebody and say you're dizzy, That person, if they're a vestibular therapist, is going to run you through all sorts of vestibular stuff and try to find some vestibular cause for it. But it all along could be a neck issue or it all along could be a visual issue. So it just takes somebody who has training in this to try and separate it out. Uh, And that's why I really kind of harp on that thing is don't just go to vestibular physio and think that that's the answer. That's one small component, but all of these systems give you the same findings and so it becomes very confusing to figure out what's what. Does that answer it? I hope that answers it. Uh, Okay, susceptibility to future concussions. There have been a couple studies, large epidemiological studies, that have found that if you've had previous concussions, you're more likely to have future concussions. These studies are usually quite flawed in their methodology, meaning that the way that the study was done was bad to say the least. So, one of the studies that I know that they found that if you had a concussion uh, previously that you had a 6-fold greater likelihood of having another one. But it's done on football players and the only the the only thing they're looking at is here's a group that had previous concussions, here's a group that didn't have previous concussions. And if we follow this group over two years, who's more likely to have concussions? The group that didn't have a previous concussion or the group that did? And what they found is the group that did have previous concussions had a six-fold greater likelihood of having another subsequent concussion. But they don't take things into account like style of play. Maybe that group that had a concussion was more aggressive. Maybe that group that had a concussion Um, played positions that were more risky. And that, like I said, aggressive style of play. Maybe they're more likely to lead with their head. Maybe they're more likely to take riskier behaviors on the field, which then puts them more at risk for those concussions. So those types of studies can't control for those variables. And so it tends to lead in the direction of increased susceptibility. However, there's been also studies done on biomechanics where they actually look at the force delivery to people that have had a previous concussion versus those that have not, and they find that each of those two groups still get concussions around the same force delivery point. So just because you've had a previous concussion does not necessarily make you actually more susceptible to getting another one. It might, but we just don't know that yet based on the literature that we have so far. The studies that have been done have flaws in them, and. I haven't seen anything that's really compelling that suggests that you're actually more susceptible. For the most part what I've seen uh, and, and the higher quality studies that I find is looking at the biomechanical implications. Are these people actually getting concussed with less force? And the answer so far is no. So I wouldn't necessarily say that you have any type of increased susceptibility to concussions. You might be suffering symptoms with less force right? Because you're getting a little elbow in the head, getting an increase in your concussion symptoms. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you've had another concussion because the symptoms are not specific to concussion, right? Anxiety, PTSD, neck dysfunctions, ocular motor things, whatever it may be, um, you know, stress, tension, whatever it may be, can cause those same symptoms. And I think based on the light mechanism of injury, it's more likely that that is what's going on not subsequent concussions so in the in the having three concussions in 13 months and then in the past couple months having another couple concussions i would i would probably be trying to drill in if i was your practitioner drill into each of those concussions to try and find out what was the actual force delivery right you need a substantial amount of force to cause concussion injuries we're not that fragile we just aren't. If we could get concussed by little bumps in the head, we would all be in big, big, big trouble, okay? But you can actually sustain quite a bit of force before getting a concussion injury. Um, I hope that makes sense. What is the effect of substances on the concussed brain? My understanding is that alcohol and most drugs are always bad for concussion recovery, but that CBD um, or cannabis uh, seems to have some merits. So we don't really know much about substances on the concussed brain necessarily. One thing we do know is that one of the causes of persistent concussion symptoms is inflammation. Alcohol tends to be pro-inflammatory. So alcohol creates more inflammation in our bodies because what it does is it increases the permeability of our gut lining which increases um, inflammation. So if you have, if your symptoms are driven by inflammation and you drink alcohol, that can exacerbate that inflammation which can make things worse. Uh, If it's not inflammation related, alcohol can make you temporarily a little bit more dizzy and more likely to bang your head. Um, But in terms of what its actual effect on the concussed brain is, we don't really truly know. CBD has actually been shown to have some anti-inflammatory effects It's only been studied so far in um, a small group of mice. Uh, I think it's interesting. I just don't think there's enough research there yet to provide any type of recommendation on it. Um, But there is some evidence to suggest that it potentially has the ability to reduce inflammation, uh, particularly in the brain. And so that might be an interesting treatment option uh, in the future given more um, research. Ethan has another question. For context, the symptoms after getting elbowed went away fully after seven to eight days. By far the fastest recovery I've had, so maybe mostly psychological. See, it's good that you're even in your own mind thinking that that's possibility. <laughs> One of our phones is dying. I'm getting the wrap it up signal. Uh, those are the four questions, but I'm going to, there's one last point that he makes here. Getting hit in the head has been my biggest fear for the last five years, but I can't seem to avoid it. The, again, getting hit in the head is, is not necessarily what you have to be afraid of. It's having substantial force delivery. Your head needs to accelerate and decelerate at a fairly significant rate to get concussion. Um, I had a patient recently that was afraid of just, even in cars, just going over bumps, speed bumps. He would freak out and think that he had had another concussion or turning the head side to side like this while, while looking at a target, very afraid to turn the head too quickly because he was afraid that the brain was gonna move around inside his head and create another concussion. Again, you need, so far from what we know from the biomechanical literature, you need between 70 and 120 Gs of acceleration. To put that in perspective, for people that are listening or watching, when you're in a car accident, your airbags are set to deploy at a change of velocity of 50 kilometers an hour, which is about 30 miles an hour. So if you're in a car accident and you're going 30 miles an hour or 50 kilometers an hour and you rear end somebody at a dead stop, okay, your airbags are gonna deploy. That translates into about 60 Gs through the seatbelt. So the concussion range is around 70 to 120 Gs. That means that you need the equivalent of a car accident (laughs) delivered to your head to cause a concussion injury, right? So it's not every little bump or poke, it's a substantial amount of acceleration through the head. So try to think about it that way I hope that will kind of calm people down that have that same issue because I've had patients that have had that issue. They've been very fear avoidant of everything that could hit their head. Okay, that just causes you to walk around stiffer, tighten up more, and potentially create symptoms from from neck related issues and tightness. So um, I don't think you need to be necessarily as afraid as what you are. Is that phone still alive? Still alive. Still alive, okay. Uh, I hope that helps. Ethan, do you have any more questions real quick? Or I hope I did you justice, man. We had another question in here actually somewhere. Uh recommendation for a plan going forward. I mean, I think your your biggest issue right now is finding somebody who has training uh in this area. Uh I'm not sure if there's any around you, but obviously, you know, um complete concussion management clinics have gone through at least 36 hours of training on all of these things. Uh they have to get recertified every 2 years and they go through a full um, a full 15 hour research course. So they're very well trained in each of these components on how to decipher what's going on. So in terms of a plan, it's like you need somebody who knows their stuff really, really, really well to be able to guide you through the process, right? First we put you on a treadmill, we see what you do. Then we check your visual vestibular system and see how you do. We give you exercise and rehab for any dysfunctions that might be there. Then we're gonna check your neck, we're going to, um See if we can recreate any of your symptoms through neck issues. Uh, See if, you know, and then provide treatment there. We're also gonna educate you and see if this is some sort of psychological issue. Maybe refer you for cognitive behavioral therapy. Maybe refer you for cognitive assessment through a neuropsychologist. But your first step is finding somebody with concussion training that knows all of the facets and how they tie in together. Obviously, my bias, I would say I recommend Complete Concussion Management Clinics. We've provided all the training to them, um, and so they know kind of everything that I know, uh, and they'll be able to help walk you through that kind of a plan. I mean, it's tough for me in my position right now to try and give you this over over Instagram, but I think that's, that's your best bet. You need to find somebody who, who can guide you through um given that i may play intramural sports in college or maybe learn skateboarding uh continue drinking like a normal college student etc um yeah i mean once the once your symptoms have gone then you can start getting back into all these activities right and like i said as far as we know there's there's some there's some people that will believe that uh, you might be more susceptible to concussion. However, the evidence so far, in my opinion, doesn't necessarily create that to be a, um, a, a foregone conclusion. Um, so I would you know, be careful in the meantime, get rid of your symptoms, focus on your health, uh, and then you can gauge your own risk in going into whatever activities uh, in the future uh, after that. I think that's for you and your healthcare professional to figure out necessarily. Uh, Very important topic. Good level of details. Uh, Anxiety and concern of what's a new concussion and what is not is super important. Sweet. Thank you. Thank you for the comment. Uh, All right. We're about to die. Ethan, hope that helps, man. Uh, Good luck with everything. Cheers, guys. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a review. Have questions about concussion management for future episodes? Submit them to our website, Facebook, or even Instagram. See you next time.